All right, well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, This morning we are in Matthew chapter 11. We're looking at verses uh, 16 through 19 this morning. Matthew chapter 11, 16 through 19. If you remember, we are uh, looking at the parables of Jesus uh, throughout the summer months, and we found ourselves here at the children in the marketplace, the children in the marketplace. And so we're going to look at this parable here this morning and hopefully learn who the real Jesus is. Uh, the real Jesus is this morning. So hopefully you found your place. Let me just read uh, verses 16 through 19. We'll look at some of the passages around that as well as we work through the message. But this is the core of this particular teaching and this is the core of the parable. Jesus says in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 11, But to what shall I compare this generation? Is it like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates? We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and he, then they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking and they say, Look at him! a glutton and a drunker, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? God, we thank You for this day. We thank You for this opportunity to gather together as a church. Uh, We thank You for the rain, Lord. Even though maybe some of us were not able to get up because of it. But God, we thank You for the rain that You pour out on this earth. And we thank You for Your Word that You pour out to us. And that we are able to open it. We are able to explore it and to learn from it. And we ask God that you would help us to do that today as we seek to understand who Jesus is. Who you have called us to believe in. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, everyone loves Legos. At least children at times love Legos. And and those small bricks that you can build, whatever it is that, that you can imagine, right? But the Lego company that we know today did not start out as a brick building company. It was founded by a carpenter by the name of Old Kirk Christensen in the 1930s, and it was originally a high-quality wooden toy company. Now, it wasn't until the 1950s that it began to somewhat resemble the company that we know today. The Christensen saw potential in, in producing these plastic bricks for building and and over the next decade or so they they work to bring their product to market and patent its unique building system and that's what makes lego so popular right They, they allow us to make just about anything at least anything that you can make with a plastic interlocking brick which opens up really a whole world of of possibilities you would be amazed at at what people have made right everything from from cars, like cars that, that actually work and run, to life-size portraits of people. When we went to Disney World, we, we walked by the Lego store there, and of course they had some amazing things that they had made, and some of which were the characters uh, at Walt Disney World. People make buildings and action figures and, and a whole lot more with Legos. Our youngest, he is into Legos, and I'm always amazed at the things he builds. Some of those things come from the box. Some of those things are, are just stuff that he creates with his own imagination. Legos are popular because they allow us to, 
create. And creating is really in our, in our DNA. Creating is actually built into us. God created the world, everything in it, including you and I, humans. We are created in His image, male and female. And in Genesis 1, 26 and, and 27, we read this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And just a little bit later, you read this, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And as those who are created in God's image, we are, we are gifted towards creating. Some of us are more gifted towards creating than others, but, but we all are gifted towards creating. And not only is creating built into us as we are made in the image of God, but, but as we talked about, but we are tasked with... Uh, with it by God. In Genesis 2.15 we read this, The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And to work it, that, that carries the meaning, that carries the idea of creating, of, of making something. To take the raw materials of the garden, to, to work it into something that you would make that would be glorious for God's glory. Creating is popular. Legos are popular because it is built into us and is even commanded of us by the Lord, which means that that creating in and of itself is not a bad thing. Creating is actually a neutral thing. It is the it is why and what we create that really matters. And many create in order to make a name for themselves. If you're familiar with biblical history, you have read uh, about the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. There on the plain of Shinar, man sought to make a name for himself, to, to build a building up to the heavens. And the whole point was so that they might be glorified instead of glorifying God. You see, man was supposed to spread out over the face of, of the earth. They were supposed to continue working the ground, continue making things that were uh, in, God's, in God's glory. They were continue to, to, to take the raw materials of the earth and make things from them, to, to settle into, into cities and, and things like that. But man decided they weren't going to do that. They wanted to stay together. They wanted to make a name for themselves. And they build this huge tower. And this tower results in judgment by God. He confuses their language so that they have to spread out all over the world and make and create for His glory. But God's judgment at Babel didn't stop man from creating in order to make a name for himself. We see this happening today all the time. Take Dubai, for instance. Not only have they built several islands off of the coast that, that weren't there, they, they physically made these islands to put more homes on, but they've also built one of the, one of the world's tallest buildings, the Burj Khalifa. And I'm sure their building puts the Tower of, of Babel to shame. It's 2,716 feet tall. It has more than 160 stories. It's an impressive structure, and it really is a, a tribute to how great people are. On the website of the building, they say this, This success is not based on oil reserves, but on reserves of human talent, ingenuity, and initiative. You see, Burj Khalifa was built to make a name for the city and for those who engineered and built that building. That's what many people build, right? That's why many people create today. They want to make a name for themselves. 
relationships. They aren't concerned with, with working and keeping it for God's glory. Instead, they want to glorify themselves. And not only does man create in order to make a name for themselves, but man also creates in order to make gods for themselves. And this is where today's text intersects with the idea of creation. Idolatry, it is, it is one of the oldest forms of rebellion. Since the beginning, man has been fashioning gods in their own image, but, but God abhors idolatry. And we know this because the first and second commandments of the Ten Commandments, there God says this, You shall have no other gods before me. First commandment. Second commandment, You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. God abhors idolatry. And idols, they, they never really provide us with that which we think that they are going to, you know, Israel learned that through the prophets. One was Habakkuk who said this, What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and, and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. Idols cannot provide us that with what we want. Right? They can't teach us, they can't speak, there's no breath in it at all. It is something that we have just created and and the other prophets jeremiah and isaiah and others they they join with habakkuk in condemning and pointing out the futility of creating and worshiping idols but here's the thing man continues to do it even those in jesus's day continue to manufacture idols and more crooked than creating an idol from wood hay or straw was their desire to create jesus in their own making you see, we have a tendency to try to make Jesus into who we want Him to be. And Jesus was acutely aware of those in His generation's efforts. How they sought to, to make Him into what they wanted Him to be. He knew their heart's tendency, that they would fashion gods into what they could control, into what they could actually dominate. And so looking and, and watching and, and knowing the people that He ministered to, He offers them an image of themselves and this is where we find ourselves in verse 16 but to what shall i compare this generation is it it is like children sitting in the marketplace calling to their playmates we play the flute for you and you did not dance we sang a dirge and, and you did not mourn and so jesus takes a a common children's game a common game that children would play in his day and he and he teaches in the form of a parable one group of children they call out to another group of children would you would you play wedding and that is what he's getting at in beginning of verse 17 we played the flute for you and and you did not dance a wedding was a as a happy time the flute was played everyone gathered around and they and they danced they celebrated the marriage that that they just witnessed but these children, they, they refused to dance. These children, they, they refused to celebrate. They refused to play along. So the children move on thinking, well, if my friends are in such a bad mood and they're not going to dance, well, well, maybe they will play funeral. Certainly, they can mourn. 
And what happens? Well, the children, they, they sing a dirge. And what is a dirge? Well, it's a, it's a funeral song. It's a, it's a mournful song. And how do their friends respond? Well, again, their friends, they, they would not play along with them. They would not mourn. And I'm sure many of those listening to, to Jesus had this experience as kids. I'm sure that, that you've had an experience like that as kids, right? You want to play a certain game and, and you're, you're trying to get your friends to come and, and play with you. And, and you know what? They don't, they don't want to do it. They don't want to play that game. And then you, then you change it up and you say, well, let's play this instead. And you know what? They, they don't want to do that either because they want to be the ones who are in control. They want to be the ones who are dominating and, and determining which game it is that they want to play. And that's exactly what Jesus is accusing this generation of. They did not want to play along, so to speak. Instead, they wanted to call the shots. They wanted to be in the control. They wanted to determine what should and shouldn't happen. Look at what I mean. Jesus provides the application to this parable in verses 18 and 19. In verse 18, He says this, For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. Now, the John that He's referring to here is is John the Baptist, and he, and he says, look, John came, he, he preached a message of repentance, and, and well, you did not, you didn't repent. And Jesus highlights this just a few verses earlier, so look up to verse 7 with me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And so he asks the people, who, who did you go out to see in the wilderness? I mean, it certainly wasn't to see a, a reed that was shaken by the wind. In other words, you did not go out into the wilderness. You didn't leave the comfort of the city. You didn't leave, the, leave all that was behind to go out there to see a man who is easily swayed one way or another just as a reed is, is swayed to and fro by the wind. Nor did you go out to see a man who, who hobnobbed with kings and, and with nobility. No, no, these men aren't in the wilderness. These men, they're, they're in kings houses surrounded by luxury and this is not john john is not a, afraid to speak the truth he's not easily deterred by men he, he's not out to please and maintain relationships with nobility that that is not who john is that is not the man that you went out to see no you made the trek out to the wilderness. You left the comfort of the city to go out there to see a man who was different. And John was different. John was a prophet. And John came with a prophet's message. He came to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he prepared the way for the Messiah by, by preaching this message of repentance. In other words, he played the dirge. He called the people to mourn over their sin, to, to repent, to recognize that they have sinned against and offended a holy God. He came to prepare people's hearts to receive the good news of the gospel that Jesus was going to bring. And that's who John is. John is a prophet who comes with a message of repentance. But what does Jesus say that 
the people do. Well, instead of repenting, they, they write John off. They say, he's a maniac. He, he's a, he's a demon-possessed man. They write him off so that they don't have to listen to him because he wasn't the prophet that they wanted him to be. Not only did they write John off, but they also wrote Jesus off because Jesus wasn't the Messiah that they wanted him to be. Look at verse 19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. You see, if John came with this message of, uh, of, of judgment and a message of repentance, a dirge, if you will, then Jesus came with a message of grace and forgiveness. Jesus played the flute. He offered peace and, and He offered joy as He extended grace and, and mercy to sinners. And the people... Well, well, the people should have been overjoyed with, with Jesus' message, but, but the people were not overjoyed. Instead, they accused Him of being a glutton, they accused Him of being a drunkard, a person who just fellowships with those sinners over there. And they write Jesus off too, and they write Him off because He's not the Messiah that they wanted. They wanted someone who would come in, who would, who would sit in judgment against their enemies, someone who would rescue them from the oppressive Roman Empire and usher in the kingdom at that moment. They also wanted someone who was extremely religious, who would, who would lift up and who would celebrate the religious do-gooders of the day. But that wasn't Jesus either. You see, instead of associating with and, and propping up the, the religious elite of that day, he associated himself with sinners. He offered sinners of all people salvation. He called the religious to repent of their desire to be in control, of their legalism, of their religious externalism. He did not go along with the crowds and what the religious leaders wanted and even what the religious leaders taught. And this is why they were after Jesus. This is why they wanted to, to kill Jesus, to get Him out of there. Because He was going against them. And so we see that the generation to which Jesus spoke were like children in the marketplace. You see, they, re they refused to mourn at, at John's message of repentance and, and turn from their rebellion against the holy God and say, Lord, your wisdom is right. I have been sinning against you. As well as they refused to dance when Jesus came with a message of hope and of redemption. They refused to celebrate this offer of grace that Jesus extends to them. And that's really what religious people do, right? Because religious people, they, they don't believe that they are in the wrong. They, they don't believe that they have any sin of which to repent. They don't believe that they need grace and mercy because they believe that they are doing just fine. I mean, look at them. Look at all the stuff that they do. Look at how they serve. Look at how they give. Look at all the things that they know. And so they don't believe that they need Jesus. They don't believe that they need to repent. Instead of believing and, and accepting Jesus' message with joy, the religious and, and even the irreligious of the day, they, they reject the Jesus of the Bible and they seek to make Him into a God that they want Him to be. The religious seek to make Him into a rigid, hard figure who we need to work in order to earn and, and even keep our salvation. Do all of the things that we do. 
do everything according to the law. See that that is what saves you. It is our work, they say. But Jesus says, it's not your work. It's not about your work. It is about my work and what I have done and what I will do for you as He spoke to these folks. And we see that Jesus did go. And He worked on our behalf. He went to the cross and He died for our sin. The sin that we deserve to die for. The sin that that separates us from a holy God. Jesus goes to the cross and Jesus takes the punishment that we deserve. He acts as our substitute so that we might be able to have a relationship with the holy God as, as we believe in Jesus. His sacrifice covers us, so to speak. His blood covers us. And it makes us holy so that we can have a relationship with the Father. It's not about our works. It's about Jesus' work. And this is what He's saying to the religious people. The irreligious, they seek to make Jesus into all kinds of things, right? Maybe a a woke Savior, or what you might refer to as as hippie Jesus, right? He, He would never go and say anything that would hurt anybody's feelings at all. No trigger words or actions ever came out of, out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus is just fully welcoming. He, he accepts everyone with this huge, big smile on His face and a big hug. It doesn't matter what you believe. Jesus is accepting of you. Or they, or they make Jesus into a, a meek and mild figure. They forget that Jesus, that Jesus grew up. He's no longer that little babe in a manger. They don't look to the, to the book of Revelation and they see that Jesus is coming as a conquering king on a war horse. No, they, they have Jesus in mind as this little babe. And, and this little babe, they, He can never judge anyone. Hell is not a reality except for, well, the really bad people like, like Hitler. Like Certainly, somebody like that has got to be in hell, but, but not just your normal average person who, who just tells some white lies or gossips or, or does whatever it is that they do on a daily basis. Everyone else, everyone else is going to heaven. No one will suffer. No one will experience judgment again except for the really bad people. And still others seek to make Jesus in what I like to refer as to as genie in the bottle Jesus. You know, you just rub that, that bottle and Jesus will give you whatever it is that you want. This is the health and wealth gospel. Right? Wherever our hearts desire, go to Jesus with just enough faith. Say, say the right words, you know, in Jesus' name. Say that after everything that you want. And you know what? Jesus is obligated to give that to you. And if you don't get it, well, you're, just, you're not having enough faith. You didn't say it the right way. You didn't do it the right thing. You didn't sow enough seed to people in order to get what you wanted. Genie in the bottle, Jesus. He gives us whatever our hearts desire. The religious and and even the irreligious, they reject the Jesus of the Bible and they seek to make Him into a God that they want Him to be. But here's the thing. Jesus does not accept our image of Him. Jesus is not an idol. Jesus is not someone that we can, we can form and we can fashion in any way that we like. He's not someone that we can go and we can make in our own image. That is not who Jesus is. It said, Jesus is the God-sent Savior of the world. Instead of becoming who we want Him to be, Jesus is who we need Him to be. 
a gracious God who calls us to repent of our sins and trust in His sacrifice on our behalf. Idols cannot provide us with salvation. They can't provide us from release from the bondage of sin, Satan, and death. Idols, idols cannot change us. Idols are what we make them. And if we make them, well, well, that means that we make them in our image. And I don't know about you, but, but I don't make things in my image that, that, that contradict me, that, that are going to change me. I make things that will support me for who I am and who I want to be. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is not somebody who's just going to support you for who you are. Jesus wants to change you. And if you don't have a God who disagrees with you, if He agrees with every single thing that you want to do in your life for, from here on out, that is a God in your own making. That is not the God of the Bible. And that's how you know you're worshiping an idol or the true Jesus. The Jesus we make doesn't disagree with us. He doesn't hold us accountable because there's really nothing that we need to be held accountable for. We are good. We got it all together. The, the Jesus of our own making is the Jesus who affirms us every single step of the way. But that, that is not the real Jesus. The real Jesus agrees with John's message of repentance. He knows that we are sinners who have, who have rebelled against Him, who have rebelled against the Father. He knows that we need to repent of our sins and turn to follow Him. He knows that, that we need to, to quit trying to do things in our own way according to our own wisdom and say, God, You are the King over my life. You are the one that I'm going to allow to be in control. It is You, God, who should direct my life not me we need repentance the real jesus not only calls us to repentance but the real jesus also calls us to believe the joyous message of the gospel he offers us forgiveness and salvation a different way of life that reflects god's wisdom that is who the real jesus is jesus is the god-sent savior and we know that, that He is the God-sent Savior because of what Jesus tells John's disciples in verses 4-6. through six. A bit of backstory before we read the text. You see, John, he's, he finds himself in prison for speaking out against Herod. His life is on the line. He's, he's sitting in a jail, jail cell, and he begins to wonder, is Jesus, is this guy that, that, I, that I proclaimed, this guy that I baptized, is he, is he really who he says he is to be? If so, why, why, am I, why am I here? Why am I in this jail cell? Has the kingdom come? Why, why hasn't it come yet? Why am I experiencing injustice and, and persecution? And wanting answers to this, John sends his disciples to Jesus with, with the question to ask, is He really the Christ? Are you really the Messiah? Or should we look for somebody else? Because things are not really going the way that I think that they should be going here, Jesus. Well, look at where I'm at. Look how Jesus responds in verses 4 through 6. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You see, Jesus responds by quoting Scripture and He quotes from the prophet Isaiah, who highlights the work of the true Messiah to come. And all of these things, 
All of these things Jesus has done, which points to the fact that He is the true Messiah. He's telling John, He's telling those who listen, He's telling us, I am the Messiah. As the God-sent Savior, He and He alone has the right to define who He is and what His ministry will be. How He will provide salvation. Jesus is not what we make Him. Jesus is God. Which means that He tells us who He is. We know Jesus is who He says He is because Jesus' actions and His deeds confirm His identity as the Messiah. This is what He's getting at in, in verse 19 at the end there. He says, Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. The divine works of Jesus are, are simply proof that He is the Messiah. He's healed. He, he has released people from bondage. Think of those who are demon-possessed. He redirects the heart from from riches and and position and acceptance to to finding life in Him and Him alone. He provides salvation from God's wrath through His sacrificial death on the cross, which was shown to be effective by His resurrection from the dead. While men reject Him and seek to make Him into their own image, ultimately, who Jesus claims to be is proven through His deeds and the change that He brings in the heart of man. If you're a Christian here today, I mean, just consider, consider your own heart. Consider your own desires. Consider your own wants. Consider your own will. You, you wouldn't think and act the way that you do today if Jesus hadn't changed you. You know, as a teenager, I, I went to a Christian school, a small pr- private Christian school, and the school was associated with a church, and the church was actually on site there. And and even though I wasn't a Christian at the time, I still attended the, the youth group that the church had. You see, I wanted to be able to, to stay after school for, for some extra time and, and hang out and play with my friends and play basketball and all this other stuff that, that they had. And, and, well, if I went to youth group on Wednesday nights, I got to hang out with, with my friends after school. And so that's exactly what I did. I attended the youth group so that I could hang out with friends. That was my, that was my motive. And our youth pastor, like, like any good youth pastor should do, he, he encouraged us to read the Bible. And I remember during that time as, as he would encourage us, and you know, you kind of get, oh, I need to read the Bible, let me, let me read through some stuff. And I remember reading through the Gospels and, and reading the teachings of Jesus and thinking, you know, who, who is this guy? I mean, I mean, who does this guy think that he is? I know that Jesus is supposed to be my Savior, but... But man, he has got some really hard and harsh things to say. Things that, that I really don't like. Things that, that I don't want to submit to and believe about myself. Things that, that really are just messing things up for me because I want to do things my own way. And I honestly remember thinking that about Jesus as I read through the Gospels. You see, I'd like to read through some of the letters and maybe some of the Proverbs and some of the Psalms, because you know those are pretty encouraging, right? And you get some of the, the Old Testament stories, but then when you get to Jesus, it's like, man, Jesus is really stepping all over me here. I don't like this guy. But in the course of time, you see, my, my thoughts about Jesus changed. And they didn't change because I just, I changed them. They, they changed because Jesus changed me. You see, instead of, of viewing him as, as this domineering and, and hard and, and harsh dictator, I came to see him as a wise, caring, and loving Savior. And what changed? Well, it wasn't Jesus. 
He was still the same Jesus that, that I read about today. But, but it was me. Jesus changed my heart. Jesus changed my view of Him. He saved me from my sin, from my rebelliousness against Him. Jesus' actions and deeds, the ones that are written about in God's Word, and those that take place in our own lives, they point to the fact that He is the true Messiah. And everyone here who is a true believer in Jesus, they, they should be able to see that in their own life. This change that, is, that has taken place from us not wanting to submit to Jesus, from us not wanting to, to like Jesus and, and accept Him, to, to say, man, He is it's the wise, gracious, merciful Savior of the entire world. For those who are believers, that change should have taken place in your life. You see, it is our nature to create. And if we create underneath the authority of God according to His wisdom, according to His glory, then we're creating rightly. But if we seek to make and create a God in our own likeness, our actions prove sinful. Jesus is God and He alone has the right to tell us how He will operate. Our job is to believe and to joyfully accept the salvation that Jesus provides. And so don't seek to create Jesus according to your own image. Instead, accept Him for who He is. Trust in Jesus. Allow Him to guide and to direct your life. He and he, he alone can provide you with salvation. He can provide you with healing. He can provide you with release from bondage. He and He alone can provide true joy as He makes your relationship with the Father right again through His sacrificial death. So don't reject the Jesus of the Bible for a picture of your own making. You're just making another idol. Instead, turn to Jesus, experience the true joy, experience His grace, experience His mercy. Walk in the freedom that Jesus provides today. Experiencing a release from bondage of sin, Satan, and death. Turn to Jesus today. Allow Him to create a new heart in you instead of you creating a Jesus who affirms and agrees with you. That's really how you can respond today. Both believers and non-believers alike, you can turn to Jesus today. You can trust in Jesus today. You can recognize that He is the all-wise Savior of the world. And as those who are believers, and we recognize that, then you can praise Him today for the change that He has brought about in your life. You can praise Him today for, for who He is, and you can purpose not to make Him into a God of your own making. And if you're not a believer here today, well, you respond. You respond by turning away from that idol that you have created of Jesus or, or that, that other idol that you are worshiping. And turn to Jesus, the true Jesus of the Scriptures. The one who can disagree with us. The one who calls us to repent. But ultimately, the one who plays the flute. Who calls us to celebrate and to worship Him for the salvation that He brings, for the grace and mercy that He offers. And He's offering this grace and mercy to you today. In a moment, we're going to sing, and this is an opportunity for us to respond, to respond to this message. Both believers and non-believers alike are called to respond. Believers, praise Jesus for what He has done. And if you're not a believer here today, and you would admit that, or you're watching and you're not a believer, Turn to Jesus. Turn to Him as the true Savior 
of the world. I'll be down here at the front if you want to pray or if you want to publicly profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity for us to to gather together as the church to hear from you, Lord. To hear that you are a God not of our making, but a God who can disagree with us, but a God who saves us and offers himself for us on our behalf. Lord, we ask today that that we would see that, that, that we would see who you are, that we would recognize the work that you have done in our life, and that would cause a sense of joy, a sense of celebration, a sense of praise to well up inside of us today. And Lord, if there's someone here, either in person or watching, who, who doesn't know you, Lord, how would you call them away from the idol that they are worshiping? from the idol that they are seeking satisfaction and joy and salvation from, and call them to Yourself so that they would believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior and experience healing, spiritual healing today. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.